Good morning. Good morning. I just really want to start out by saying thank you for being here. This is, wow. Um, well, maybe I should say Johnny's not here today. I know everybody's been looking for him. He's not here, guys. Um, and he hates it. He's wrestled with this. He's on a business trip. Um, he tried to change flights, totally switch his itinerary. I think his wife looked at him and was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing so? Um, and his heart is in this completely. I don't know if you guys could see behind the curtains of everything he puts into this. And uh, we, as his, his team helping him, you would just be in, in awe and, and probably really ask, like, why are you doing this? Um, well, w whether you know it or not, there's a lot of testimonies coming out from this event. Um, and I don't know, it's partly like he has a passion for this that he hates missing or he doesn't trust me to run it. So, because he was really squirming not to be here. I was like, I think I got it, dude. So, um, this event is very special to us, uh, many of us. It started, and I know some of you have kind of heard the story behind it, but with the crowd we have today, I kind of want to back up a little bit and share just briefly about it. This event started as a sections event. Um, Johnny was my small group, small group leader at the time. He became my section leader and he built a core team. And through that, um, on the men's side, we just started discussing like, okay, how can we do community together for the guys in our section? What, what could it be that, you know, pick up basketball? And, you know, kind of kept it simple. Let's do breakfast. And man, we hit the phones like we were telemarketers. Um, and some of you guys were on the tail, uh, on the other end of that. And like enough with the text, dude, I'm coming. But like 20 guys maybe showed up and which was pretty amazing. It was just our little section, 20 guys coming, seeing that they want to do something like this. Um, you know, three years later to see it wall to wall in here, there's 250 seats in here, I think. I'm sure there are some missing, but I would imagine we'll have some guys trickle in, which if you see someone trying to look for a seat and you have one open next to you, please let them sit. Um, so another thing that's special about this event is, you know, it is, it is an imitation situation. You were probably invited by a buddy at some point in time. Like, I go to this breakfast at my church. It's really cool. You should come check it out. And it's just grown. And one other thing I like about here is not everybody in here today is a COTMer. You know, you're, you're involved in other ministries. Your boss invited you. I invited my boss. Um, and so that's what makes it really cool. So we have a really good, you know, at all areas of life in this room, month in and month out of, you know, you don't go to church, but you really enjoy coming here. And it's something special for us. And we're going to keep this going and things like this going. Um, so... I want to leave um, Pastor George as much time as possible, so I'll stop talking. If you could stand with me, and please welcome Pastor Willie George. Oh, man, there's nothing like getting a bunch of guys together. I love being around men. I'll tell you what I love even more. I love having a church full of men. You know, um, I was around strong men uh, from the moment I got saved. I got saved because of strong men. 
I gave my heart to Christ. I, I knew Christians before that time, but I didn't know any Christians that were real men. Everybody I knew was somewhat of a, just soft, and uh, I won't go into much more detail than that, but just soft. And, and I didn't want to be like them. I never saw anybody who said I was a Christian who, that I wanted to be like. I di didn't see a one. But uh, when James Robinson came to my high school and uh, stood in front of a group of teenagers, and I thought, man, this is a preacher. Why did they bring a preacher to our school? Don't they know what we're going to do to him? We're going to chew him up and spit him out. The kids are going to laugh. They're gonna, and, and boy, was I wrong. Fifteen minutes later, you could hear a pin drop in that room. I mean, he had everybody. Uh, setting up, and he wasn't preaching. He'd never used the Bible, never used the name of Jesus, not one time. He just started talking about life. And I mean, he had the whole school shook up. That afternoon when I walked into the locker room and my football coach said, that guy's going to be at my church tonight. And my best friend leaned over and said, they got good looking girls at that church. <laughs> and so I said, well, let's go. And uh, so anyway, I don't know if I went because I like James or the girls. It was probably a collection of all those things. God didn't t uh, take any chances. He surrounded me with all kinds of reasons to go. And I went. And that night I heard him preach. And I was challenged for the first time to really surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I'd heard about it before, but I was really challenged that night to, to make Jesus my Lord. And my life was changed. I didn't do it that night. I went home and thought about it. But I couldn't get away from what I heard. And the next night I went back and made a commitment to Christ. And so uh, from that moment forward, I was around men, great men, for the next several years. And that's what changed my life. And it'll change yours. If you want to be a strong man, you need to run with strong men. You need to run with men who, who know how to be leaders. And that doesn't mean that you run with people who love to fight or they, they love to be argumentative. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who know how to make decisions, stick to them, stay to a course, stay steady. That's what real manhood is about. I want to talk to you about Paul's instruction to Timothy. Timothy was his son in the faith. And, and Paul said, Timothy, I want to tell you four things that will help you to be the kind of leader you ought to be. And, and I'm assuming this morning that I'm talking to leaders. And if you are not a leader yet, you're going to be. And uh, if you're not leading a company, you're leading some part of a company. If nothing else, you're leading your home. And I want to share with you four things that I believe will help you greatly to understand what is expected of you and how you best do this. So I'm going to take it from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading the King James, and it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Just in those two verses, there are five layers of leadership. First of all, Paul said there's Jesus Christ, then there's Paul, then there's Timothy, then there are faithful men, and then there are others also. So we're talking here about a chain reaction of people turning to God and following God, and we're talking about building a team and inspiring others. And it all, of course, starts with Jesus Christ. But the first thing that Paul said is, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Nobody follows a weak leader. Nobody follows a weak leader. People will try to tolerate a weak leader, but ultimately everybody runs over a weak leader. 
And if you're going to be a leader, you have to learn to be strong. Now, some of us grew up with dads that came out of that old redneck culture that barked a lot and demanded iced tea the minute they walked in the door. And, and, and mom jumped. Uh, she said, how high? Every time he said jump. That's not happening at my house. I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and confess to you. I don't think my wife would cotton to that really well. Um, yours probably won't either. But that's really not what leadership is about. Leadership is about setting an example. Other people see things in you, they admire and esteem, and they want to be like you. That's really what leadership is about. And Paul is telling Timothy, if you're going to do this, you have to be strong in grace. Another scripture says this, grace and peace are multiplied in us. Grace and my peace. Some of us are looking for peace. Do you want more peace? Let me tell you how peace comes. You don't pray for peace. You can ask God for peace till you're blue in the face. It won't happen. That's not how peace comes. Grace and peace are multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's what you begin to see and know about him. That's what brings you peace. I came to Tulsa in 1978. I began to work for a man who was a very gifted man, very uh, charismatic man, L loved being around him. But when I got here, I saw something about him I didn't see before I got here. I saw he had two sides, and he had a very dark side. And he was struggling with these battles in his life. He could be a wonderful man, and he could be a very evil man. And slowly over time, the dark side took over and it eventually cost him most of his success and it cost him eventually a lot of his life. He died prematurely. And this man was very manipulative and he did a lot of things to try and control me and keep me from fulfilling what God had put in my heart. And uh, a lot of things that he promised did not come to pass. He was somewhat shady in a number of ways. And one of the things that I battled was I felt as if this man was going to stop me and keep me from being able to make it. And there were really tangible evidences of what I'm talking about. There were churches that once would have me come and speak that wouldn't talk to me anymore. And it was because of this man's influence. And it was because of things he'd said. I didn't know at the time what he was saying. Later on, I found out he was telling horrible lies about me. He, in fact, admitted to them and apologized to me about it eventually. But it did. It cost me lots of open doors. It cost me many, many relationships. And in this period, Satan came in my thoughts as he does to all of us. And, and, and you need to realize there is an enemy out there. I'm not trying to make you afraid of him, but, but we're not fighting just a mental battle. There's a spiritual battle that we all fight. And as I was dealing with these tremendous negative thoughts and what Satan was trying to do was make me a bitter man. And that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to make you a bitter man. That's his goal. If he can make you a bitter man, then your life is messed up. And you're bitter when you feel like you're put in a box, when you feel like that you have no control over your circumstances, that somehow other people are keeping you from fulfilling what God wants you to do, that other people are holding you back. And God just kept leading me to two different characters in the Bible. 
One of them was Joseph, the boy who had the coat of many colors, whose brother sold him as a slave. And the other one was David, who worked under an evil king named Saul. And as I read their stories, I began to see something, that even though the people over them had some effect on their lives, they came out of it and ultimately were the stronger for it. And then I found a verse in the book of Joshua where God said to this young leader as he was taking over for the greatest leader Israel ever had. It was Moses. And God said to Joshua, no man will stand before you all the days of your life. And when I begin to think about that, I begin to realize there is nobody but me who can stop me. Now, at the time, it appeared that there was someone else who was stopping me, hindering me, keeping me from moving forward. And there will always be that person or persons, and and that's one of the things the enemy wants to do, is he wants to turn your focus and your frustration to some human being. But the apostle Paul said this, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some people who are opposing you or keeping you right now from, from advancing the way you probably should. But what I want you to see is that you cannot become a prisoner of those people. You can't begin to resent them. You have to realize that God can find you wherever you are. If you don't believe that, you will always try to take the high position in life. You'll always take the greatest opportunity. Sometimes that's not the step that God has for you. Sometimes the step to greatness is for you to go down into a hidden position and serve. That's what happened with David. David went out and lived in caves. And all the men who came to David were just like him. They were all in debt. They were all oppressed. They were all uh, misfits. They all had a gripe against someone in Israel. Someone had done them wrong. And these are the only guys who wanted to be with David because they saw him as one of them. But what David was able to do is not only keep his own attitude right, but David was able to turn these men into the greatest army that Israel had ever known. And what I want you to see is that he began to teach them something about knowing God. And you have to know God if you're going to be a leader. You know God through his word. And you begin to see these little things. Nobody can stop me. I am in charge of my life. I am the one who makes the ultimate decisions about what I do. And others may not contribute to my success, but God does not have to have them to move me forward and to bless me. And I want you to know that when you take that attitude, you become unstoppable. There is nobody who can hold you up. They may not cooperate. They may mess up some of your business deals. But even the things they do, and this is what I started seeing, even the things that they do to hurt you actually begin to work against them. There's an old saying that if you give the devil enough rope, he'll hang himself. And he's done that over and over again, down through the pages of the Bible. That's why it's so good to read the Word. When you see that Satan stirred up the Pharaoh to go after Moses and the children of Israel at the banks of the Red Sea, he was driving nails in his own coffin. Pharaoh could have stayed alive had he just left Moses alone. But when he insisted on following Moses down into the bottom of that Red Sea, he was pushing it so hard that God had no choice but to end his life to keep him from hurting the covenant people. And what I want you to see is that the devil always overplays his hand. And so the very things that are used against you, the very things that you think are negatives can be flipped and they work to your good. 
You know, when I started out in kids' ministry, I, uh, I, I, I bemoaned the fact that, that we got terrible, terrible offerings. Every church I went to preach at, the pastor would apologize for the check, and he said, I don't understand this. He said, you made as much a deposit in our church as any speaker we've ever had. We got more out of your ministry, and yet the offering is, is awful. I, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed at it. I took some money out of our general fund and put with this, and it's not what we believe you contributed, but it's the best I can do right now. And I heard that story over and over and over again. And I began to, I realized this is, this is, there's something going on here. There's something going on. And God had called me to do a kids' TV show, and I thought that, that churches all over America would say, yes, we're buying in, we're going to help you. And they didn't. I can't tell you how many pastors said, you let me know when you start making that show, we're going to support you every month. Never heard another word from them. And so I wondered, God, how are you going to have me do this? And one day God opened my eyes to see that I was never going to get it done with offerings, but I could do it with products. And I started making things for kids. And God's hand was on it because he wanted kids to hear the word. I started making bedtime stories. They sold like hotcakes everywhere I went. I made video cassettes. People rented them. I had a club where we sent out thousands of those tapes every month. One day in 1991, my business administrator said, Pastor, we have... 6% of our income that comes through an offering, but 94% comes through a sale. And, and so God taught me how to be a businessman in order to fund and to pay for what it was that we needed to do. And we were, we were scandal-proof. I, mean, I, I suppose if I had messed up, it would have been a, a, a bad thing. But when the televangelist scandals hit in the 80s and TV giving dropped off, it just cut in half uh, overnight. 50% of everybody's offerings, it never affected us. We just kept right on going because people didn't associate it, and we weren't getting offerings anyway. So 50% of nothing's nothing. And, <laughs> and so we made it. So what I want you to see is that even the negatives can flip to the positive when you follow God. And when you know, when you know that no man can shut a door on you, nobody can stop you. You're the only person who can slow your life down or mess it up. Other people may try to help, but they cannot ultimately keep you. And that is what permits you to be strong. And you have to continually feed yourself that idea. God is on my side. God is strengthening me. And you quit looking at people as your enemy. Can I get an amen? amen? Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Second thing Paul did is he said, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses. I want to stop here for a minute. Paul was a big believer in preaching ideas. He didn't preach so many ideas that you couldn't keep up with them all, but he consistently preached ideas. And the idea that he preached the most was that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved not of works because that was the culture he came out of. He came out of a culture of you have to earn it. And what Paul pounded into his followers, Jesus Christ died on a cross, was raised from the dead. His shed blood buys our salvation, and it is what keeps us in this relationship with God. And he continually preached that. He preached some other things. He preached that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In God's mind, we are right there with Jesus 
that we sit with him. He preached a number of key ideas, and this is what I want you to see. If you're going to build a company or if you're going to build a home, really doesn't matter. The same principles are at work. You have to proclaim ideas. Hold people accountable to ideas, not to yourself. Young pastors will ask me, if you could go back and and say something to your younger self, what would you say? And I've got two or three things I could think of that would, would have made a difference. But here's one thing. In the old days, I held people accountable to myself. In other words, when someone was screwing up, I would sit them down and I would say, do you see me doing what you're doing right now? Do you see me doing this? Is this how I operate? And when I corrected, it became an issue of personal conflict. We were not focusing on the idea. The idea is what holds people accountable. You have to continually uh, proclaim values, simplify them, write them down, write them in simple sentences. Don't present so many that people can't remember them. But if you're leading anything, identify and isolate a set of values that you consistently preach. And when people stray from them, then you're holding them accountable to an idea. You're not holding them accountable to yourself. The Apostle Paul, if you read Galatians, is in conflict with the Galatian church because they drifted from the simplicity of the gospel. They went back to keeping the law. Someone came in and told them they had to keep the law in order to be saved. And so Paul is in direct odds with that. But when he comes to correct them in the book of Galatians, he's not pointing to himself and he's not saying, you're contradicting me. It's not a personal thing here. It's an idea. Remember the idea I gave you. We're saved by faith, not by works. And he's constantly taking people back to those ideas that built the church. And what Paul was great at is that when he passed on and went to be with the Lord, he left behind enough ideas that these ideas were rolling out of people's ears because they'd heard them so much, and it was those ideas that changed the world. And you've got to identify what the ideas are that build your life, that build your company, that build your home. You've got to isolate those ideas and stay with those things. One of the ideas that my wife and I uh, adopted early in our lives is we did not argue about discipline in front of our children. We knew better, and we never, we never got into a fight about how we disciplined one of our kids. We always stayed together. We knew that kids are smart. And they will play mom against dad or dad against mom. And we trained our kids that if you go to mom and she says no, and you come to dad and ask for the same thing, it's an automatic spanking right there on the spot. Doesn't matter if dad was going to do it or not. It's just that we are in total agreement right there. We are not going to contradict each other. And we had to work at that because there were times that she thought I was too hard or there were times I thought she was too hard. Or uh, we, would, we would disagree, but when we disagreed, we never let the kids see it. It's an idea that we held on to. And what it helped to do was create peace in our home. And that's not to say that we didn't have some threats against the peace from time to time by something one of the kids did, but we kept that peace. We fought for that peace. We kept that idea. Make sure you write down your ideas. We have a ranch right now. The church owns it. 
and uh, we've owned it as a savings account. Uh, and, and eventually when I'm gone, unless Whit becomes a hunter, and I don't see that happening, uh, when I reach a certain age, we'll probably sell it, and it'll, it'll be a great asset to the church at that time. But in the meantime, I'm taking this year about 52 to 54 pastors on deer hunts and elk hunts and uh, fallow deer hunts this year, this fall. And uh, we're one week away from finishing the season, and we've had a marvelous year. But, but every week, it's about pouring into these young pastors, and, and they have a million questions, and some are family questions, and some are about building programs, and some are about this, that, or the other. But I keep telling them, preach ideas to your staff. Develop a value system. This is something I didn't do as well as I should have. Now, we used to have 10 commandments that we put up and, 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 and around the ministry and expected everybody to memorize those, but we didn't talk about it all the time, and I don't even remember what they were. If I can't remember them, how can anybody else remember them? And what I want you to see is that you have to, you have to preach those ideas, which done a great job. In fact, we at Church on the Move are no grow, discover, go. And I've got no grow, discover, grow dripping out my ear right here, running down my uh, shirt. Uh, it, no, and, but it's great to have ideas like that. The ranch that I'm telling you uh, that we have, Whit challenged me, said, Dad, you need to craft a mission statement. So I did, Rocker W. Ranch is a quality hunting experience where pastors and leaders can be affirmed, refreshed, and challenged. When I did that, it totally changed the way I saw the ranch. One of the things I saw was I don't invite just any pastor to come because some pastors are know-it-alls, and I can't affirm them. My number one role there is to encourage and affirm, and when you get a pastor, we're <laughs> I won't call his name, but you all know him. Uh, we, <laughs> we were sitting out there, and, 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 and don't even try to guess. You'll never get it. But... Uh, we're sitting out there at the breakfast table one morning, and they're putting the food on the table, and we're not quite ready to eat, and I'm talking as I normally do. And, and this guy says, well, Pastor Willie, why don't you go ahead and ask the blessing? It's my dad, Gum Ranch. I'll ask the blessing when I want to. <laughs> and, and, I, I won't have that guy back. He takes over. He has to, everywhere he goes, he's got to run the show. And he's a great guy, but I can't help him. And he gets in the way of what I'm trying to do when I have him come. So he's off the list. What? And, 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 I, and, I, and I knew he didn't need to come, but it wasn't until I crafted that mission statement I saw why. He will not let anyone affirm him. He will not let anyone encourage him. He's Pee Wee Herman when he falls on his bicycle. I meant to do that. Everything he does, he meant to do. He's got it all figured out. And you can't help a guy like that. So you need to have values to guide you in what you do. Am I helping anybody? All right. I know Pee Wee Herman. Don't think I don't. <laughs> the same commit thou to faithful men. You, you have to find men that are faithful. You can't do everything. You eventually need to begin to learn to, to delegate. The guy who thinks he can do it all, uh, you're fooling yourself. You're, fr you're, you're going to frustrate. You're going to bottleneck everything that goes on in your ministry. You have got to learn to let other people have things. The same commit to faithful men. And, and when you say commit, that means you, you, you have let go of it so you could walk away from it. If you have to micromanage and look over people's shoulder 
and continue to make all those decisions. If you got people, and in the beginning, by the way, in the beginning, the first people you commit to, most of the time they will have a body but not a brain. And, um, and here's what I mean by that. You'll have to tell them every step to take. And you start with that. That's okay. That's okay. You start with that. If nothing else, they're saving you some manual labor. But here's what you're really looking for. You're looking for somebody who gets it. And when you're preaching values, you're looking for someone who is not just a hard worker doing what they think is right, but you're looking for people who buy into those values. They're faithful to the values, not just to work in general or not just to the company because of the momentum it has, but they're faithful to the values. They're buying in to what you're selling, and you can see that. And how do we know that they've got that? It comes out of the mouth. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you keep preaching values and other people get it and the light comes on, those values start coming out of their mouths. And that's what you're looking for. You want to build that. You want to build that. You need signs up. You need place, all over the place that have those few core ideas that make your company what it is supposed to be. But here's what I want you to see. When you begin to train those people, they give you a release. And you may not realize this, but you will never get to the place God assigned you if you don't get helpers. When Jesus Christ was here on this earth, the Bible says he had the spirit without measure. John chapter 3. God told John the Baptist, the one that is coming, the Messiah, is the one that you'll see who has the spirit without measure. And Jesus had all of the Holy Spirit there was to have. No one man has ever had that since. He had all the Holy Spirit there was to have. He was better than the greatest evangelist. He was more insightful than the greatest prophet. He was more powerful than the greatest apostle. He was more tender than the greatest pastor. He was more informative than the greatest teacher. He had every gift of healing, every gift of working of miracles. There was nothing that God could not use him to do. And the scripture says that if all that he did were written down, the world couldn't contain the books. We have a sliver. What's written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a summary, a sliver of what he did. We have just a little bit of it, and it still blows our minds. And so he had the Holy Spirit without measure, but what does he do when he starts preaching? He begins a training program to develop other leaders because he knows that anybody who's building anything worthwhile doesn't do it alone. You need to think about duplicating yourself duplicating yourself because you don't have to get very big before you realize you cannot do it all. And you commit to faithful men. You delegate to faithful men. That's what Jesus did. Now here's what happened. When he completed his ministry and died on the cross and rose from the dead, who did he appear to? Jesus preached to thousands of people. There were tens of thousands of people who had been touched by his miracle ministry. There is no telling how many people in Israel were healed at the ministry of Jesus. But these are not the people that he counted on to continue his mission. When he rose from the dead, the people he counted on, it was that little group of 12. And he went back to them, gave them assignments, 
carried them through that 40-day period where they changed from being fearful to being bold, were ultimately filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to see. He released them. But you know what they did? They released him. And this is what helpers do. Helpers release you. If you don't have helpers, you will never be released into what you're ultimately supposed to do. They released him to go to heaven, to be the high priest of the new covenant, to be the head of the church, to make intercession for us at the right hand of God. He's been doing that for over 1,900 years. The preaching, the praying, the laying hands on the sick, he did that for three and a half years. What he's been doing in heaven, he has a job. He's not sitting up there uh, and doing nothing. He has a job. He's calling missionaries. He's directing traffic. He is speaking to pastors. He's inspiring sermons. Everybody thinks that Jesus just retired and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are running the whole show. Jesus is right in the middle of it. And what I want you to see, that's his real job, but he could never have done it had these other guys not stepped up to do their job. And so he releases them, but they release him. Because if he doesn't have them, what good is the cross? If he doesn't have them to tell the story, what good is the resurrection? There's nobody left on earth to tell anything about it or to do anything with it. So he has to have people that he can release to. Here's the last thing that Paul taught. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Fourth thing is this. Some people are just not able. And you may use them in the beginning and do everything you can, but you realize this person does not have the ability that we've got to have to move forward. And what happens in many, many cases, we feel sorry for people and we effectively limit ourselves by continuing to try to win the Kentucky Derby with a three-legged mule. <laughs> and you're not going to do it. And there were a number of people that we had in our early days, sweet people, precious people. God sent them, but they did not grow. I don't know that they were supposed to be the ones to finish the game. And this is what I've seen. As this church has aged, we have the sharpest, best people that I've ever seen us have. I will be honest with you. We have a sharper pastor today than we've ever had one who's more insightful to his generation than I was in mine. And I see that that's one of the reasons I made the decision to transfer this church leadership to my son Whit because I saw he's got this and there are things I'm missing I'm not seeing today. He sees it. And I want the best possible person to lead this. I'm not quitting the team. I'm just not going to be the quarterback. And what I want you to see is that this commitment to finding able people, there's no end to it. It even extends to me today. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You want to try and develop the ability of every person that you have on your team. But some people are only going to go so far. And what happens is you have to make that very difficult decision to either find someone else or to make a change to find someone that fits. And I have to say this, and this will help you greatly. When you have a person who's on your team in the wrong spot, there is another place in the body of Christ that is crying out to God for that person. And you are going to rob that person from fulfilling their eternal destiny by holding them in a position that they are never going to be capable of filling. 
I've had to talk with men before and say, listen, it's just, this is just not what I believe God has for you. And boy, it's sad. And I got to tell you what I did in the early days. In the early days, I just found somebody else, hired another person and kept them on the team. And eventually we had a bunch of people we couldn't pay for. And here's what the Lord got across to me. He said, what you're falling prey to is a highly camouflaged form of unbelief. Because you don't think I can take care of these guys, do you? So you're going to take care of them because you don't think I can. That liberated me greatly. And here's what I learned. And here Abraham had to say to his own son, Ishmael, I'm turning you loose, boy. Because Ishmael was a huge detriment to the rest of the family. He would have kept Isaac from becoming the man of God he was supposed to be. And Abram made Hagar and Ishmael. He made them leave the home. And it seemed rough at first. But you know what happened? God stepped in. And the Bible says God was with the lad. Sometimes we're afraid that God can't take care of others. And he can. I cannot tell you how many men that we've had on our team over the years that I had to meet with and say, I think it's time for you to step into something else. Today we'll come back and they will hug my neck. And they will say, I did not see it at the time. I didn't see it at the time. But today I am doing what God wanted me to do. I would never have found it had you not been bold enough to tell me it's time to take a step. And that's tough. That's one of the things that we leaders do where we suffer for Christ because we take persecution and criticism for making a decision that no one else can see and no one else seems to understand. But we get the criticism for it until later when we're vindicated and everybody wakes up one day and says, wow, look at this. I can think of pastors right now that I had to have a talk with and say, I think it's time for you to go. One man's running 5,000, another man's running 10,000, another man's running 1,500 in a town of 10,000. I, I could go on and on and on about what God's used all these guys to do. And, it's an amazing, and today they love us. And they will say, we got our start at Church on the Move. It made all the difference in the world. But what I want you to see is that you've got to be willing to take that step. Number one, be strong in grace. Number two, Isolate your values and proclaim them regularly. Number three, delegate to people who buy into your ideas. And number four, constantly upgrade the ability of your team. Some of you may be here today as a guest or, or, or I don't know, maybe even a church member. I, I presume that all of our church members know God, but sometimes they don't act like it. And it may be that you're here today and you've never genuinely submitted your life unreservedly to Jesus Christ. I knew about Jesus when I was 17 and when I gave my heart to Christ, but I never submitted my life unreservedly. I prayed from time to time, especially if there was a pretty girl I, I really wanted. I'd ask God. I, I wasn't even saved. I never considered God, but I doggone sure prayed about girls. But what I want you to see is that you need to make an unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I'm going to invite you right now with all of us
you bow your head and pray this prayer, and we're going to do it together. Dear Heavenly Father, say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I'm a sinner, and I admit it, but I know you can help me. I ask you to cleanse me. I know you give me power to rise above my sins because you raised Jesus from the dead. I believe this with all my heart. So now I say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I accept all that he did for me. So now I am saved. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you didn't get here by yourself, and if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to tell the person who was responsible for getting you to come. That'll be your first step. They will know what your next step is and how you ought to take another step to get closer to God. All right? Man, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, for letting me come. My good? Wow. Thank you, Pastor George. Uh, yeah, guys, have a seat. We're going to wrap up in je- just a few more minutes. Um, what an honor. What an honor to be under a pastor who is a pastor to pastors. And um, very briefly, 17 years ago, I moved to Tulsa. No family here. I had some buddies going to a Bible school in the city. I had some buddies going to Oral Roberts University. A friend of mine from ORU we hooked up, and I was like, where are we going to go to church? And he's a pastor's kid, and his pastor, pastor of a large church in El Paso, Texas, and he said, man, Pastor Charles says, I have to go to church on the move. And he knows all, of, I mean, he's, this is a mega church out there, and there's no, there was no talking about it. Pastor Charles says, I'm going to church on the move. I'm like, well, I'll go with you. And I never left. And I now I have a family, and we're here, and we're rooted here, and I'm just excited to be here, as many as you are, and I'm even more excited now that our lead pastor, Whit George, is, is taking the reins, and I'm just more excited where our church is going. So with that said, next, um, can someone grab that door real quick? We're almost done. Next, next month is our lead pastor, Whit George. So Whit, come on up. Hey, thanks. Real quick, I'm super excited about this. Uh, Man, as I understand it, this is the largest men's breakfast that we've ever had. Phenomenal, but I'm a competitive guy. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, the old man has gone and the new man has come. (laughs) Amen? Hey, here's the deal. Real quick, I'll tell you what I want to talk to you about in, in January. Man, 2018 is going to be a big year for our church, uh, but can I tell you, it, it starts with us in this room. And uh, uh, Kirby was going to speak in, in, uh, in January, and uh, uh, Johnny had asked me for some dates to do this in, in 2018, and I said, hey, I, I would love, I, I don't want to push Kirby out of the way, but I would love to have January, because we've got some place to go as a church, and I would like for it to begin with our men. And Kirby was gracious enough to say, hey, yeah, you can have January. Here's what I want to talk to you about. 
Um, if God's going to do anything in our church and if God's going to do anything in your family and in your business, it's going to start with your relationship with him. What I have seen with so many guys, and I, I was one of them for a lot of years, is that we have a church experience, uh, but we don't know God really because we don't know how to read this. We know we should. I can tell you guys, I don't know how many guys in ministry will admit if you get them one-on-one that they don't really have a regular time with this. And if Jesus is going to transform your life, it starts with his word. You've got to learn how to read scripture, how to have a a rich time with God. And I want to talk about that because there's some practical things and there's some mysteries about this that they don't have to be that mysterious that can change your life. And it all begins with your relationship with Jesus. You want to see 2018 be a different year in your family in your business, in your leadership, it begins with knowing Jesus. That's where transformation comes. It all begins there. So I want to talk in in January just a little bit, some practical principles about how how you have a regular time in this, what it looks like, how you can do that practically, and it really make a difference. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Mark, thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing you in January. Man, I'm excited. I would love it to just keep going, but I know we got to get you guys out of here. Um, register. So when you get the email, register. We had to turn down people this month, and it stinks. And um, So we just need to know. If you want to come, let's come. We'll be prepared for you. Register. And then lastly, go out these doors. This, use the balcony. Go outside. Church uh, school has started, so we want all of us to just use this balcony and go out on this terrace. All right? Be blessed. We'll see you next month.